0: Hey, it's, uh, it's great to be together today. If we haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you part of uh, the family of, of Doxa today. But, man, I love today. I love preaching from a wet stage because, guys, here's the reality of, of why this is so exciting. Guys, every time we have a stage wet like this, it reminds us that the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we sing, the gospel that we celebrate is ultimately a gospel of power. Amen. That every time we see someone get baptized, guys, I'm reminded of the, the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16 where he just erupts in joy and he says, I'm not ashamed. You remember this? That Paul, as he experiences the salvation of God and witnesses the power of God, he just erupts into joy and he just says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power to God of God to save everyone who believes. And so, guys, this is an exciting day. We have a God that is on the move, that is is powerful. But speaking of the power of God, I want to invite you um, to go ahead and grab your Bible. All right? Grab your Bible and find your way to Galatians chapter 1. All right, Galatians chapter 1. Here's what we got going on today and moving forward. We're spending 17 weeks, all right, 17 sermons going through the great book of the Bible called Galatians. And last week, we, we started by looking at the first five verses of this letter, which is the Apostle Paul's introduction. Um, and we kind of talked about the big-picture understanding of what's happening in this, this region of Galatia, happening in this letter. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message, because that's going to help you a lot to understand the context of what's going on as we study through this letter over the next several months, okay? But what we have today is we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. And I just want to kind of briefly catch us up to speed um, today, but this, writ- this letter is written by this man named Paul. And Paul, we talked about this last week, has a, has a crazy story. He's a very religious guy, a very intense guy. And although he knew about Jesus, he, he hated Jesus. That for a big part of his life, Paul, his, his job was really just to hunt down Christians to ultimately to kill Christians, to kind of stop the movement of the gospel, to stop the spread of Christianity post the resurrection of Jesus. But on one of his missions to hunt down Christians, Paul has an encounter with the risen Christ. He's on the road to Damascus. He's headed to Damascus on this ancient road. Damascus is the capital city of modern-day Syria. He's on his way. The risen Jesus appears to Paul. He sees the glory of God in Jesus. He becomes a Christian. And God does what we are celebrated through witnessing these baptisms, that God saves him from his sin, he makes him brand new, gives him a new identity, and with that he has a new activity with his life. And so Paul goes from being a persecutor of a church to becoming a pastor of many churches. Wild story, right? And Paul is on his first missionary journey. He goes to this region of of the world called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, He's there. He starts talking to people about the nature of sin and how they need a Savior. People start coming to know, love, and follow Jesus. They're putting their faith in Jesus. And then some churches start popping up. And Paul, he, he camps out there for a while. He's teaching them the Scriptures, but then he leaves. He leaves to start other churches. And as he left Galatia, here's what happened. Some false teachers kind of came in to take Paul's spot. A group of people called the Judaizers, they started teaching false things and and false doctrines. The Christians who are very young in their faith in this region of Galatia, they start getting really confused. And it's a really sad story because in their confusion around who Jesus is and what the gospel is all about, they start to drift away from the truth of God. They start to drift away from the gospel, they start abandoning their faith. Paul's going to say later on in Galatians chapter 5 that they're actually falling from grace. So Paul, he's in the city of Antioch. He hears the report that this is happening in the Galatian churches. He's troubled by this because he loves these people. And so he writes this letter to confront these false teachings and to help bring those early Christians back to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And this is what Galatians is, is ultimately all about. Now, because as, as Paul heard this news that was happening with the Galatians, here's kind of what I actually think he was thinking. He heard about how they're drifting away and Paul's just like, man, they're not going to finish the race. Like, they're just, they're not going to finish it. They're not going to make it. I got to help. And if you've taken me up on the challenge to read Galatians, you're probably like, hey, I don't see that language anywhere in the book of Galatians. And good on you, okay? But if you read the, the New Testament, you understand that this was actually the way Paul viewed his life. This was the goal of his entire life. That Paul had one goal, and it was to finish well. That for Paul, what he wanted to do was to love Jesus and faithfully follow Jesus till he took his last breath. And I want to just show you this really quickly, okay? So take a look. In Acts chapter 20, here's what Paul says. He says, I consider my life worth nothing, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus had given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking to a people who are very familiar. They're surrounded with like the Olympic Games and athletes. And he's contextualizing the gospel in athletic terms. And he says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul's last letter that he actually writes before he's ultimately beheaded and killed because of his faith. And in his last, like, dying right before he dies, he says this, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Doctor, this was Paul's big goal in life. And Christian, I just want to talk to you and just say, this should be your primary goal in life. Okay? So above all of your financial goals, all of your career goals, all of your parenting goals, all of your status goals, above every single goal that you have in your life, it should be this, to love Jesus till the end. To finish well. And Paul, he, he knew the Galatians were headed in a direction that they weren't going to do that. And so he writes this letter that we're studying. Now, let me say this, because I don't, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I can, I can read the Bible. I can uh, get into this and, and think, okay, like I get it. It's a good historical lesson. Like I get what was happening in history. Like we read Galatians and we say, okay, I understand the history, but I don't know how this plays into my life personally. Do you do that? Like understanding the history, but when it comes to personal application, it's kind of like what? Do we, well, it's for me. When I was considering Galatians, this part of Galatians chapter one that we're looking at today, the history of this book landed on me personally. As i began to think about one of my good friends from college i'm just going to call him joe okay but joe and i we we met in college we we played football together um we lived together for a while um we became really good friends just really just did a lot of life together and i remember like we even started reading the bible together we didn't come from church backgrounds and like strong christian influence backgrounds um But there were guys that would start Bible studies in the locker room, and so Joe and I found ourselves in there sometimes, and so we're wrestling with the truths of God together over the years. And and I remember, like, as we're reading the Bible, it it came down to, um, I think it was my senior year, it was a spring break trip, and Joe and I were like, let's go, we had a buddy who played for the Chargers, we went off to California to have a wild week, and we did. And I remember it came back to the last day that we were there. All right, it was like 3 in the morning the last night we were there. We were sitting in one of my buddy's hot tubs on Mission Beach. I had like a 40 in one hand and a blunt in the other. And I remember Joe looked at me and he was just like, dude, you know what we should do? We should get baptized, bro. And I'm like, it was the first time like, I, I started thinking about the fear of the Lord and I'm like, ah, that's a good idea, but he, God might be mad if we did that right now. Okay, So let's continue this conversation, but maybe not right now. But long story short, what happened is we got back from California within like a week or two, both of us started following Jesus. We became Christians. Um, We got baptized together in the backyard of the chaplain's house in a horse trough like this, except it was rusty. It wasn't painted or anything like that. But I remember right after we got baptized, we we left and we went and got pizza and then we went and got tattoos together. Um, And we were just walking with Jesus together and just praying for each other, helping each other. And then I remember it was uh, our last semester in college And Joe went overseas to Russia um, to finish up his schooling. And uh, I remember we had those conversations of like, hey, we we need to make sure we can keep each other accountable. You know, all the catchy Christian lingo when you first become a Christian, you're like, I got a garter heart, bro. All that stuff. Okay, we got to do that. All right, so we were like, we're going to talk all the time. And so we talked a couple times a week, and we were just praying with each other, talking about the Bible, helping each other. And I remember as like the weeks and the months went on, like those times became less and less frequent. And um, I remember the tone kind of changing in Joe's voice, and I remember the last phone call we had, actually the last time I I ever heard from Joe, um, and he was telling me about one of his professors that he had, that he had grown to really respect. Um, he was a Russian secularist, like an, an atheist, and how he was telling me about, like, there's no one around him that believed that the Bible was the Word of God, and he told me how, like, he was learning new things that were making him really kind of question, and kind of think about what we had done together and he was just like I just have a lot of questions about the gospel and faith and and on top of that like guys it was just a crazy party scene like the sex industry that was over there in where he was at was just massive and so there was a lot of sin that he was falling into but I I remember him on that last phone call we were just talking and I was listening and as he was talking about all this I just was thinking oh man like he's not gonna finish he's not gonna finish the race and I, and I felt a little bit like I think the Apostle Paul felt as he heard about the Galatians. And I, and I remember the last thing that Joe said to me. And he was just like, Rabbi, I just don't know if it's all about Jesus like we've been thinking. Like I don't really know if the gospel is like the point of life. Like I don't really know if it's worth it. And even more, I don't even know if I want to try because I can't live for the glory of God. And I remember hearing him thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, someone's been telling him something and he's missing, he's not understanding the grace of Jesus anymore. I'm thinking all this and then he just told me, he's like, man, I love you, I gotta go, but I'll talk with you later. And that was the last time I ever heard from Joe. And over the next several weeks, they turned into months, turned into next year or two, I, I tried to find him, I tried to call him. I have no idea, even to this day, where he's at, what happened to him. And man, I just found myself thinking this past week, I wish I just could have had one more conversation with Joe. And as I've been considering Galatians chapter 1, if I could have had just one more conversation with him, I would have shared with him exactly what Paul writes to us today in verses 6 through 10. So let's get into this. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. I am astonished Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this is God's words to us today. And if you are familiar with your Bible, you will realize that this letter starts off very different from Paul's other 12 letters. Because normally, Paul, he, he starts off with an introduction with what we looked at last week and kind of says hi, and then he kind of erupts into like a prayer and a thanksgiving. So when he writes, he's kind of like, hey, it's me, Paul, the apostle. I thank God for you. I thank God for all of this. And, he, and then he goes on. But if you notice here, there is no prayer. There is no thanksgiving. Paul just gets right into it. And the reason why is that Paul has this sense of urgency. He's realizing there is something really serious happening, and he doesn't have time with formalities. Your parents, you kind of know what this is like, right? If you're watching your kids play in the front yard, and all of a sudden one of them runs out in the street and you see a car coming, you're not going to say, excuse me, dear. You're going to be like, get out of the street! You're going to die! This is Paul. He doesn't have time for like pious pleasantries, but he just comes with a loving warning, a passionate warning. And what we just read is Paul's lovingly confronting and just pleading, with the Galatians, to finish well. That these people were drifting away from God. They were turning away from the gospel, and Paul is just simply trying to help. And the the issue at hand with the Galatians is this idea of apostasy. All right, Now, apostasy is is a word that maybe you might not be familiar with, but apostasy is really just desertion. Look back at verse 6. It's it's when you desert what you once held dear or turn away what you once treasured. And so, to apostatize is really just to embrace the Christian faith, then later on just completely reject it. And, guys, this is, this is a tragedy. Right? And, and sadly, guys, when you look at the statistics, like we, we see this happening every single day in our country. In fact, sar- uh, studies showed like alarming numbers of young people, young adults are just leaving the faith as they enter into their college years. Despite them being raised up in the church and maybe knowing a little bit about the Bible, they show up on campus and all of a sudden they are just falling away and deserting the faith in droves. And statistically speaking, many of them don't ever come back. And so if you're wondering like why we put an emphasis such on the the next generation and why we plant churches in college centers and on all those things and why we have Salt Company, why we put so much effort into that is because we want to be part of the solution, through the power of God, by taking the gospel. But this is apostasy. And this is what Paul is talking to these Galatian Christians about. And this is what I wish I could have talked to my friend about one last time. But what Paul shares, here's what I want to do. Okay, I want to essentially ask two questions about this passage to help us understand it. The first question is this. All right, as the Galatians are drifting away and turning from the gospel, the first question that we have to ask is this. Why is turning from the gospel a big deal? You know? Like maybe you're thinking like, okay, it's not the big deal. You do your thing, they'll do things. Like why is turning from the gospel a big deal? Look back at verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So what the Galatians were doing is they were in the process of like really just like switching teams. All right? The Greek word there that we translate as turn literally means to transfer one's allegiance. And so this word would be used to talk about soldiers who are in an army in, in battle and they would switch to fight on the other side or a politician who again just immediately switches to the other political party. Alright, so it's, it's kind of like, you know, if a you know, good Green Bay Packers fan comes and all of a sudden shows up in a Bears jersey. You're just like, nah, there's something going on. That's not good, right? Right? Amen. Right? But way more serious than that, but that is serious, okay? But way more serious, because Paul is dealing with eternity. He's talking about the gospel. And we can laugh about switching jerseys, but this is actually what the Galatians are doing. And Paul's like astonished. And he's thinking like how can the Galatians like they've heard the truth of the gospel but now they're putting on a different Jersey how are they why are they doing this but the Galatians had come to Christ they had received grace they'd received forgiveness of sin they had put on robes of righteousness and now they were trying to go back to the trash can to retrieve their old clothes of works based religion this is what they were doing and this filled Paul with agony In his passion, as we read the book of Galatians, guys, it should help us to realize and understand that truth actually matters. Do you know that? Truth actually matters because eternity is at stake. And when somebody is is turning away from Jesus, guys, it should absolutely grieve us. And conversely, when someone is walking in the gospel of grace, it should thrill us, it should fill us with joy. But what we're going to see is Paul is going to share at least four reasons why turning from Jesus and his gospel is a massive deal. And the first thing he says is this, it's a big deal because when you turn from the gospel, you're turning away from God himself. All right, look back at verse 6. I want you to notice something. Paul says the Galatians are turning away from him. You see that? Turning away from him. That doesn't say you're turning away from an idea or turning away from a set of principles. And I just really need you to understand this, that when you turn from the gospel, you're turning away from the God who gives grace. You're turning away from the God who gives life. You're turning away from Jesus, the one who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. This is, goes back to verse 4, what Paul started with last week. And Paul just wants to help the Galatians understand this that when you turn away from the gospel of Jesus, you're turning away from God himself. And so this is no small thing. No small, it's a big, big deal. And guys, I actually got a chance to, I was sharing this with a guy at the gym this week. right. He was, he was new to Madison. Um, he had a bunch of tattoos all over the place and he came up to me. He's like, where do you get your ink done, bro? And I'm like, okay, we're going to have one of these conversations. So we're talking. Um, and I tell him where I got my tattoos and all this stuff. And, and then all of a sudden he gets to the question. He keeps asking questions and he gets to the, the usual conversation killer for me. Hey, what do you do? Well, I told him, I'm like, Hey man, I'm a, I'm a pastor. All right. And then he was kind of taken back. He's like, dude, our pastor's allowed to have tattoos. I'm like, I'll tell you if I get fired tomorrow. I think I'm all right. All right. But, um, but we, we ended up talking for a few minutes and and I asked him, I, I was like, Hey, I I see that you got a cross tattooed on your arm. Are, Are you a Christian? And he just looked at me and he's like, it's complicated. I'm like, all right. And then he went on to say, he's like, I'm not really all about the Jesus dying for my sin stuff, but I do believe in God and I, and I pray to him and, and one day I'll, I'll hopefully be with him if I live a good enough life. And I'm literally working on this sermon, okay? So it's going on in my head. And so I ask him, I'm like, hey, hey man, do you mind if I share something with you? And he just says, sure, sure, go for it. And I told him, you, you know, like, Jesus is God. And if you throw away Jesus and his gospel, there is no way to be right with God. And he just kind of looked at me and kind of got quiet. And then he said to me like, well, what do you mean? And I I said, well, you know, you mentioned not being into Jesus dying for your sins. And I'm like, there's a word for Jesus dying for our sins. It literally means gospel, it's the good news. And he's like, I've never heard that word before. And I was like, okay, hey, do you mind if I just share the gospel with you? He said, sure. And so I was like, okay, gospel in, in 30 seconds, if I could just do this for you, man. And he was like, go for it. I'm like, so there is a God, and we're not him. And I said that God created all of humanity, the first of humanity to be with, with, with him in unity, in relationship. I'm like, you've heard of Adam and Eve? He was like, for sure. I'm like, great. He created the first of humanity to be with him. And it was beautiful. It was perfect. But then sin came into the world and broke everything. and separated us from God. And I'm like, and sin is the universal problem. I have sin, you have sin. We all do things that we don't do. We don't do the things that we should do. The Bible just calls that sin and it separates us from God. And it's the reason why your life and my life is so painful at times and why our world sucks a lot of times because it's broken. It's a result of, of sin, And so I told him, I'm like, we exist separated. We can try to do things like you're talking about, like praying to God and to going to church to bring that separation together. But I'm like, there's nothing that we can actually do. But God has done something. He stepped into our story, and Jesus, who has God become a man, he lived for us, he died for us, and he rode for us. But when we come to him in faith, Jesus actually takes our sin and gives us his righteousness, bringing us back to God. I was like, that's the gospel. And so I told him, I'm like, if you throw away Jesus and you throw away the gospel, there's no way that you can get right with God and have a relationship with him. And so I'm like, so we can go to church and you can do the prayer thing and all the religious stuff, but apart from Jesus and his gospel, it literally means nothing. And then I just paused and stopped. And he just looked at me, he's like, never thought of it like that so are you going to use this bench or do I, <laughs> right? I mean, so the conversation ended, but that's where, it, that's where it went. And so we went our separate ways. I did the rest of my stuff. And as I was walking out there, I'm like, I got to go back. And I went back to him. And I was like, Hey man, no pressure. Hey, I'm actually talking about this on Sunday. I don't know if you're here. Hey bro. Um, but I invited him to, to doxa and I was just like, Hey, I'm gonna talk about this on Sunday. If you want to come just like check it out in here. If not, all good. I'll see you next week probably and we can talk more if you want about it. But this is what Paul says. When you turn away from the gospel of Jesus, you're turning away from God himself and this is serious. But secondarily, Paul says this, that when you turn from the gospel, you actually turn from the grace of Jesus. This again is, look back to verse 6, that when Paul mentions the grace of Christ, this is a synonym for the gospel. And this goes back to what we talked about last week with the Judaizers, that the true gospel of God is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus only. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But the Judaizers, these false teachers, were coming in, and they were teaching that salvation, forgiveness of sin, relationship with God, it wasn't about just Jesus only, but it was Jesus plus. And for the Judaizers, they were saying it was Jesus plus circumcision, plus all the requirements of the Old Testament law, and then that equals salvation. But what they failed to understand was the grace of God and the Word of God, because we understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And so the Judaizers were saying, yeah, yeah, hey, Jesus, He's great. He really did die for sin, but that's not enough. It's not enough. And so for sure, you absolutely need to come to Jesus But then we need to kind of help Jesus out with the way that we live to make sure that we're actually right with God. That the grace of Jesus was not enough. We have to do something more. That's what the Judaizers were were doing. They were basically creating a new religion, a new gospel, which Paul says is actually not a gospel at all. And guys, this was not just a then problem, but some of you grew up with this ideology. Some of you, you grew up in really religious churches, in really religious homes. And this is actually the way that you think. It's not just Jesus, but it's Jesus plus something more. And tell me it's not crushing. Because you never know if you've done enough. You' never known if you've did the right stuff. It's absolutely crushing. So maybe you think, like, for sure, it's all about Jesus, but then it's also about me and what I do. And if you're here, guys, I I love that you're here because this morning could be the most joy-filled, light morning of your entire life because you are about to hear the good news of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need you to understand that your work, the work that you do, can't do anything for the sin in your life. It's only the grace of Jesus It is only Jesus and when you turn from the gospel you're turning from this grace and this leads to the third thing that Paul shares and it's this is that when you turn from the gospel you bring about God's curse look back to verses 8 and 9 this is what Paul says but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be accursed as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Guys, the word accursed, which is repeated twice here, is the word anathema. All right? And when a person is anathema, Paul explains it like this in Romans uh, chapter 9, verse 23, as being cut off from Christ. A person is anathema means that they are doomed to the eternal punishment. Okay. So in 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, Paul said that those who turn from the gospel... Turn from Jesus, shall suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and exclusion from the presence of the Lord. And then Paul's even going to talk more about this in Galatians chapter 5, saying that when we turn from the gospel, we're severed from Christ. We're separated from Christ and we've fallen away from grace. Now, this is heavy. If you're new, welcome to Doxa. We just teach the Bible, okay? This is heavy. But this is a truth that we all need to know. It might be uncomfortable, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. And we love you enough to say the hard thing that this is true of every single one of us. My job as a pastor is just to share the truth, to teach the truth, your job is to figure out what to do with it. But when a person rejects the gospel, the free, gracious gift of God's forgiveness, then that person remains under the divine curse of their sin. And guys, this is terrifying. And it's terrifying because of its torment and its unending length. That this is just the reality of hell. And the reason that I say that the curse abides on anyone who rejects the gospel and not just these false teachers in these verses is that Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 16.22 saying, if anyone does not love the Lord, let them be accursed. And so the underlying truth of this entire passage is, is that there is only one gospel. And this gospel is a gospel of grace. And apart from grace, which comes from Jesus, there is only cursing for sin. And the implications of this text, guys, are so, so important for us. Because as I was thinking about preparing this message and standing up here on the stage, I don't know if you ever think about me, but I was thinking about myself this week and being like, how's this gonna feel to deliver this message? I'm like, this is not at all PC in our world. I mean, someone's gonna get a sound bite and just blow me up on social media. I'm not on it, but it could happen, right? Because this is radical. And it's a forthright denial of pluralism, which is what our culture embraces and says that we're all kind of on different roads to heaven, but our destination is the same. Paul just says, that's not true. And this is so relevant for us today because there are popular forms of universalism and there are technical and scholarly forms of it, but there's no biblical universalism. You need to understand this. That there is no biblical teaching that a person can go on rejecting the gospel of Jesus and still be saved from the curse of sin. We need Jesus. And so there are other religions besides Christianity, and there are other leaders besides Jesus Christ, but there is no other gospel, no other good news of salvation. And as I share this, I need you to know my heart, okay? I need you to know that I'm not angry I'm not like the guys that stand at the Capitol wearing their fire shirts and yelling out of fog horns and stuff like that. I'm not angry. I'm desperate. I'm like a poor, starving beggar who has found food and I just desperately want to tell my begging friends where to go find it. And you need to know you need Jesus. Jesus. This is the truth of every single one of our lives. You need Jesus. There is a curse for sin. The wrath of God will come for sin. We will all stand before God one day as judge. And if we are answering for ourselves on our own without Jesus, it's going to be the worst day of our lives. But God has brought you here today. In his sovereignty, you're not here on accident so that you can encounter the grace of Jesus, that you could see the grace of Jesus, that you can understand the grace of Jesus so ultimately that you would accept the grace of Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. And this is not to make our church bigger. This is to make your eternity great Amen. and filled with joy. But guys, Satan does his best to keep our world from seeing the reality of anathema. He will try and distract us But I need you to understand, the curse for sin is real. And your sin in your life is real, but Jesus is a really good Savior. Amen? We need Jesus. He loves you. Come to him. And finally, why is this a big deal? Number four. When you turn from the gospel, there's nowhere else to turn. All right, look back at verse six again. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then verse 7, not that there is another one. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Right? Paul tells the Galatians that they're turning to a different gospel, but adds that there actually is no other gospel. That there is one gospel, and it's all about Jesus, and it's all about his grace. And I need you to understand what Paul is talking about is this. Okay, guys, there is a big difference between religion and grace. Big difference. And we can define religion as kind of confidence in the works of our flesh. That religion is all about the work that we do to gain God's favor. Grace, on the other hand, is all about the work that Jesus does and has done to give us God's favor. And what happens in religion and what's happening here in Galatia is that we take Jesus and then we add all kinds of stuff to him. It's Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus. And so the Judaizers, they came in and they said, all that stuff that Paul told you about, about Jesus being enough, that's actually not really true. And they would look at the Galatians and they say, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And so the, the Galatians, or the Judaizers were showing up to the Galatians. They'd gather all the guys together and they're like, guys, here's the deal. You either get circumcised or you go to hell. And the guys are like, oh man, that's a tough one. I'm not exactly sure what I want to do with that, right? It's like, is that the only option, right? Not sure what's worse, right? And some of these guys, the Judaizers were so convincing that guys were actually like, all right, sign me up. Like, I'll have an appointment on Tuesday morning, right? And they're just going after it. But they were adding things to Jesus. That's what I want you to understand. Man-made religion adds all kinds of things to Jesus. It absolutely does. And so Islam will come along and say, well, yeah, Jesus plus Muhammad. He's a, he's a better prophet. It's what it's all about. Jesus isn't God, just a prophet. And yeah, you got the Bible, but it's, we really need the Quran. It's a better book. It's not about Jesus. It's all about you and what you do. And Hindus and other Eastern religions will come in. They say, well, it's not so much about Jesus, but you gotta, you got to actually die and reincarnate because you got to pay back God for all that you've you done in your earthly life. That Jesus didn't pay for your debt on the cross, that you got to pay back God, your debt on your own in the next life. And, and this isn't just like other... I mean, some of you, you grew up, you grew up Catholic. And you, you grew up in the church, and, and you were taught to, to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. But you were even told that when you die, maybe you got to go to purgatory. And so you can go to purgatory and you can work off your debt and you work off your sin. And maybe eventually if you spend enough time in this holding tank of purgatory, that you'll be good enough because you can pay off your own debt for God because you paid him back. Guys, let me just tell you this. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. You need to understand this it's only Jesus it's always Jesus it's solely Jesus if you want your sin forgiven his name is Jesus if you want your soul cleansed his name is Jesus if you want your burdens lifted his name is Jesus if you want your joy filled his name is Jesus amen it's always Jesus none of this church religious nonsense it's Jesus only but many Christians will even add things to Jesus I've heard people in the life of our church. They'll come up to new Christians and be like, it's time to go varsity. You ready? You really want to become a Christian? You really want to be right with God? Hey, let's let's talk about spiritual gifts. Let's talk about getting you baptized. Let's talk about getting you in a connection group. Let's talk about you speaking in tongues. Let's talk about you start giving. Let's talk about you start leading. And when you start doing all that stuff, man, God's got something special for you. It's adding to Jesus. And Paul is calling them back to the grace of God through Jesus, which is what it is all about. And I'm not saying all of those things, it can be, those aren't bad things. They're not bad. But I need you to understand that none of those things will help you with your sin problem. It's only Jesus. And so, why is it a big deal? We just looked at four reasons. Now the last question, and we'll wrap up with this, is this. How do we avoid turning from the gospel? How do we avoid it? Take a look at verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let them be accursed. Do you notice the we language? You notice that? I think Paul, was, Paul wasn't just throwing stones at these false teachers. I need you to understand that we are all susceptible to apostasy. We are all susceptible from turning away from the gospel. And I don't think as Paul was writing this, I don't think he was thinking that he was going to do it. He was probably thinking, you got a better chance of getting me pregnant than turning away from Jesus. But like I'm just going to say, we... You need to understand, we all are susceptible to apostasy and turning away from the gospel, but how do we avoid this? And this is how we'll end. There's probably a lot of things we can say as I've been thinking about this this week, it's two things. It's our posture and our practice. And I want to explain this to you: Our posture. Because we need to let scripture be our final authority into matters of faith. This is the undergirding of verses eight and nine. Paul says, if anyone, a person or an angel, comes and declares something different than God's gospel revealed in the scriptures, let him be accursed. Don't listen. Christian, this is our posture. We are under the authority of God in his word. Now here's the posture that many Christians actually take. And I'm over God's Word. I'll decipher God's Word. I'll translate God's Word. I'll say what God's Word actually means. This is not our posture. We're not over God. We are under God. Amen? Amen. And we submit to His authority. And we all find our authority and our truth from one of three places. We've talked about this a lot at Doxa. Every single one of us, we either look internal, external, or eternal. Some of us here, we like to functionally make ourselves our own God. And so we say, I'll decide what is true and false. I'll decide what is good and bad. We look internally and we say, this is truth because this is what I think and this is what I say. Others of us were like, I barely got into UW. I'm not that smart. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to look externally. Right, I'm going to look at where the crowd and the masses are going. I'm going to look at the social influencers and where they're taking us and all this stuff. And so we look and we follow people. And wherever everybody else is going, that must be true. Guys, as Christians, we don't look internal, we don't look external, but we look to the eternal, the Word of God. This has to be our posture. And so in everything, it comes back to the Scriptures. This is why we talk about if you prick us, we bleed Bible. We need to consider every truth claim that we hear and we need to ask the question like, what's the source and what's the substance of everything that we hear? We need to ask, who's saying this? And what are they saying? And then we run it through the lens of Scripture. Because if not, we can so quickly turn from the gospel and turn into a false gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's our posture. And I need to tell you, guys, behind every false teaching is a demonic influence guys for for god there is one reality in two realms there is the physical realm with human beings and there is the spiritual realm with spirit beings angels and demons and paul is giving us this glimpse here talking about an angel showing up and preaching a different gospel angels who worship god and love god will not do that demons will and behind every teaching is a demonic influence that is trying to stray people away from the gospel so that they can land up eternally separated from God. And this is so important because, guys, it's happening today. The largest cult in the world is Mormonism. And I, and I know they've changed their names to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're not the Church of Jesus Christ. They're something different. In Mormonism, it was started by Joseph Smith And the way that it was started is Joseph Smith said an angel named Moroni showed up to him in a dream and gave him a new revelation of who Jesus is. That he's actually not the creator, but he's the created one. He's the half-brother of Lucifer, and he became God. And he created a new religion and a new gospel, and he talked people into following. And you need to understand that that was not an angel that showed up. It was a demon preaching a false gospel. And even when we go past the largest cult, if you look at the largest religion in the world apart from Christianity, Islam, it's the same story. Muhammad was in a cave. He said an angel visited him and told him a new gospel, a new way. And he came and he emerged and created a new religion. Muhammad did not meet with an angel, but a demon with a false gospel, another gospel, and it has led people astray. It is a serious thing because we're talking about eternal life, and so we have to be people of the Scripture. We have to be men and women of the Word. And our practice has to be opening it up and reading it. We can't just say, I submit to God, because you can't submit to something that you don't know. And so I want you to be the kind of people. I don't want you to be spiritual people. I want you to be spirit-filled people with a discerning heart that when you hear truth claims, you read it through, and you're like, that doesn't sound right. Book, chapter, verse. This is our prayer. Let's be those people. I'm way out of time. I love you. I'm with you in this. Let's be these types of people that know the truth, that submit to the truth, and then give this truth away to as many people as we possibly can for the glory of God and their joy. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. God, I, I thank you for the truth of, of Jude 24, that God, you are more than able to keep us from stumbling into, into brokenness and, and you present us blameless before your presence and glory. And so we look to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just protect us. Would you, would you help fill our minds with the things that are true of your word? Would we not be like the Galatians that fall into apostasy that would turn away from the gospel? But would you help us to eagerly search your word, to know your word, to love you more as we come to know more and more of who you are and how you reveal yourself to us throughout the scriptures. So we just we love you and we say that we we need you. We absolutely need you. We need your empowering grace. And we thank you for your saving grace. And we say Jesus, it's all about you. And we love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen.